0: another segment here on Gems Podcast. For those of you that are new to the community, I am Miss Genesis Amaris Kemp, the founder and the host. For those seasoned listeners, thank you so much for listening to another segment. With me today in the hot seat is Eric Osansky, and he's also a doctor, so Dr. Eric Ozanski, And I'm going to tell you a little bit more about Uh, Dr. Eric. He is a chiropractor, clinical nutritionist, and a certified functional medicine practitioner who helps people recover from thyroid and autoimmune thyroid conditions. He is the author of the books, Natural Treatment Solutions for Hyperthyroidism and Graves Disease, a Hashimoto's Triggers, and is the host of the Save My Thyroid podcast. Dr. Osansky, was personally diagnosed in in 2008 with Graves' disease, and after taking a natural treatment approach, has been in remission since 2009. After seeing how well natural treatment methods help with his condition, he began using these natural thyroid treatment protocols to help others with different types of thyroid and autoimmune thyroid conditions, including hypothyroidism, hyperthyroidism and Graves' disease, and hypothyroidism and Hashimoto's thyroiditis. So today in this segment, we're gonna learn more about what Graves' disease is, and I'm also gonna have Dr. Eric explain the difference between hyperthyroidism and hypo, because one seems like it's overactive and one is underactive, but I'm obviously not a medical profession, so I'm gonna stay in my lane here. So let's welcome the man behind it all, Dr. Eric.
1: Hey, Genesis, thank you so much for having me here.
0: My pleasure, Dr. Eric. And we're gonna jump into the connection part of this segment, which is going to allow you to be able to connect with the audience in a fun and personal way, so they get to know more about you outside of the main part of the segment. So there's two options here. We could either do a rapid fire 10 question game, but we're gonna have to keep it rapid for time constraints, Or we could do an icebreaker. What are you in the mood for?
1: Let's go with the icebreaker.
0: Okie dokie. We're breaking the ice with Dr. Eric and Genesis. (laughs) So Dr. Eric, I want you to share something that you have done in your life that others may thought was crazy, but it actually built your character or something fun and interesting that your community doesn't know, but it makes Dr. Eric, Dr. Eric.
1: Hmm, fun and interesting. Well, I guess we'll go with that. So, you know, so one thing that's fun and interesting that most of my followers don't know is that, so when I was a child, I was terrified of roller coasters. And, you know, then eventually, out of peer pressure, I, I went on some roller coasters and, you know, began enjoying them. And, you know, then I stopped for, for years just because I didn't have anybody to ride roller coasters with until my daughter was not only born, but, you know, old enough to go on roller coasters. And now I'm, I don't want to say I'm a roller coaster fanatic. I'm more of an amusement park fanatic, but I, you know, we always try to hit all the roller coasters, me and my older daughter, sometimes my younger daughter too, I have a 15 and 17 year old, 15 year old doesn't like all the coasters like my, me and my older daughter. So So, yeah, we we love amusement parks, love roller coasters. And uh, so that's, yeah, that I would say is a fun thing about me that most people don't know.
0: That is super cool. So like whenever you and your um, daughter embark on these roller coaster journeys, like when you travel on vacation, do you go to different parks to see what's the most thrill-seeking roller coaster or how do you guys kind of decide what you're going to ride?
1: We do. We actually hit, hit different, different parks. You know, we've had season passes at like Universal Studios and we have a local park um, Carolyn's here, but then we've gone to, I don't know if you're familiar with Cedar Point, which is in Sandusky. And I mean, we've been to a lot of different amusement parks in Canada and you know uh, yeah. So we, we, we do love to explore different amusement parks, you know, as of recording this we're we're a, f- a few weeks from now we'll be in bush gardens williamsburg hitting those coasters over there and uh so yeah a lot lot of fun the only bummer is my my wife doesn't enjoy roller coasters so if the whole family goes usually it's me and my two daughters again my younger daughter sometimes will sit out a coaster or two because she doesn't like the real big ones or real fast ones my wife won't go on even like the kids coaster (laughs) you know if we were to go on that so so she sits on the sidelines and she's she's fine people watching though
0: Amazing. It would be cool if uh, you kind of had a spin and you kind of just did like a blog about the best roller coasters or amusement parks and what was thrill seeking. Just an idea. It would be kind of cool I've, to hear that.
1: I've, I've thought about that. You know, I also love cats. I was thinking about having one day a blog post like cats and coasters or something like that. <laughs>
0: Amazing. And thank you for sharing that. So that concludes the connection part of this segment. So now, Dr. Eric, we're going to jump into the work that you're doing and let's build um, up to the education part of it. So I know there's a difference between hyper hyperthyroidism and hyperthyroidism. And then you mentioned Graves' disease. H- being diagnosed in um, 2008 per your bio and then being in remission in 2009 so within a year span you obviously found something that worked for you so just to lay the foundation here so the audience knows let's start with some um, definitions here so they can understand the difference between the three
1: sure so so hypothyroidism is actually a lot more common than hyperthyroidism so hypothyroidism is when you have low thyroid hormone levels So there's two main thyroid hormones, which are T4 and T3. So if someone has overt hypothyroidism, we'll see those low on a thyroid test, on a thyroid panel. And then there is also a marker thyroid stimulating hormone which is a pituitary hormone, and that's typically higher in hypothyroidism. And some of the more common symptoms of hypothyroidism, because you have the low thyroid hormone, you have lower metabolism. So you'll have commonly fatigue, you may have weight gain, you could have brain fog, you'll have coldness is a common symptom, like coldness in the hands or feet. And, and graves, or should I say hyperthyroidism? We'll get to graves in a in a minute, but hyperthyroidism is the opposite. That's where on a thyroid panel, you would have elevated thyroid hormone levels. So you'll have elevated T3 and T4 and the TSH, that thyroid stimulating hormone will be typically lower depressed. And with the symptoms, you will usually have elevated resting heart rate, palpitations, sometimes tremors It can cause anxiety. It could cause weight loss. I lost about around 42 pounds, for example, when I dealt with, with hyperthyroidism, Graves disease and, Increased appetite, voracious appetite sometimes, frequent bowel movements. Whereas with hypothyroidism, it's sometimes the opposite, like constipation and uh, and insomnia. It's yeah. So so it's what hyperthyroidism everything's an overdrive, and what hypothyroidism everything is is slowing down. And so Graves is a form of hyperthyroidism. It's the most common cause of hyperthyroidism, and it's autoimmune. So there's Graves and Hashimoto's and Hashimoto's is also autoimmune. That's when the immune system damages the thyroid gland and that's over time that can lead to those lower thyroid hormone levels. Whereas with Graves, you have the immune system attacking the TSH receptors of the thyroid and that stimulates the body to produce or stimulates the thyroid gland to produce more thyroid hormone levels or elevate more thyroid hormone, the elevated thyroid hormone levels. So essentially Graves' disease is an autoimmune condition that leads to hyperthyroidism.
0: Okay, so we know, okay, hyper is the overactive, hypo is the underactive, and then Graves is an autoimmune uh, disease that can lead to hyperthyroidism. Exactly. So I got that correct. So then um, one question that I want to ask is, we know whenever we're going to our PCP, so for those of you listening, primary care physician is PCP, and you're doing like your annual workup, are these tests being given like upfront, or do they only do the testing whenever maybe someone in your family has experienced it like genetic wise? What prompts physicians to um, do a workup so they can know if this individual has any symptoms or signs that may allude to hyperthyroidism or hyper, hyper or hypothyroidism?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, unfortunately, most medical doctors don't dig deep into the thyroid. Sometimes I'll do the TSH and the TSH, again, the thyroid stimulating hormone, it's a pituitary hormone, and that signals the thyroid gland to either produce thyroid hormone or to slow things down and not produce as much thyroid hormone. And sometimes the TSH could give us some answers, but many times it's not enough. And on top of that, most th- there's what's called optimal ranges so like there's the regular lab reference ranges but there's also optimal ranges and again unfortunately most medical doctors just look at the lab reference range so for example in the case of hypothyroidism if someone has a TSH that's on the higher side but still within the range they usually will ignore that they usually won't pay attention to that and uh, unfortunately the person would have to wait until that TSH is outside of the range and what so what and what Really, it's usually diagnosed based on symptoms If someone with hypothyroidism. If if someone's experiencing fatigue and weight gain, you know, a lot of times that's dismissed because a lot of other things can cause fatigue and weight gain. But if someone has hyperthyroidism, they're having that increased resting heart rate and they're losing weight and they're having all these other symptoms that are kind of scary. Then usually the when they go to a doctor, the doctor will catch on and in most cases will at least do. Thyroid panel. Um, When it comes to Graves, Graves, you need to test the antibodies to see if it's autoimmune. And usually the primary care doctor won't do that. There's exceptions, but usually they'll refer someone to an endocrinologist. And that's when the endocrinologist may dig deeper. Usually they'll do something to confirm or rule out Graves' disease. There's also what's called the radioactive iodine uptake test as well. But To answer your original question, it's usually not part of a basic workup.
0: Okay. So thank you for answering that question because I just wanted to make sure the audience is being educated there. And then with autoimmune disease, sometimes some of the symptoms for Graves may look like symptoms for other autoimmune disease like lupus. And like I'll use lupus for example, because I had a close family member that ended up passing away from lupus. And whenever she was you know, diagnosed with lupus at first, they thought it was like rheumatoid arthritis, or they thought it was something else before they finally pinned it down as lupus. So from your perspective of dealing with Graves and overcoming it to the point where you're now in remission, how did they um, pinpoint that it was actually Graves disease as an autoimmune versus another type of autoimmune disease?
1: Yeah, so initially, when I started experiencing the symptoms, I went to a primary care doctor. And so I was diagnosed with hyperthyroidism, not Graves yet. That's when they did a regular thyroid panel. And um, the TSH was low, the T4 was high. I I forgot it's been so long, I forgot if they did the T3. But depressed TSH, elevated T4 is indicative of hyperthyroidism. So they refer me to an endocrinologist. And then the endocrinologist tested that the antibodies associated with Graves. So there's, with different autoimmune conditions, there's different autoantibodies. So with Graves, the autoantibodies are thyroid-stimulating immunoglobulins, which is a type of TSH receptor antibody. And so those were elevated, which pretty much confirms Graves' disease. In some cases, there's what's called the radioactive iodine uptake test, which is another way that they, some determine if someone has Graves, but usually you want to look at the antibodies, whereas like with lupus, they're testing for different types of antibodies. With rheumatoid arthritis, same thing. There's different antibodies. Hashimoto's, different types of antibodies.
0: Thank you for explaining that, Dr. Eric. And can you explain a little more on what exactly Hashimoto's disease is and what, what someone should look, uh, look out for?
1: Yeah, so as I mentioned earlier, with Hashimoto's, typically you'll have the, at the very least you'll have the elevated TSAs, so elevated thyroid stimulating hormone, the thyroid um, hormone, the actual hormone levels are not always low. So sometimes it's what's called subclinical hypothyroidism, where you have the high TSH and uh, and t- and the thyroid hormone levels maybe on the lower side. Sometimes they're, well, they're outside of the reference range, but not always. And so again, what the difference between Graves and Hashimoto's, Graves, you could argue that most doctors will catch it quicker than Hashimoto's, someone can have Hashimoto's for 5, 10, 15 years. And yeah, it's not uncommon for them to go that long, just because first of all, one, the autoimmune component is what develops first. So, you know, something triggers that autoimmune process. And so they have the development of the antibodies, but it could take years for the person to start developing symptoms. And then when they, when they do develop symptoms like fatigue and weight gain, many times a thyroid isn't looked at initially and if they do test a thyroid as I mentioned earlier they might be looking at the lab ranges not the reference ranges and, it, and it's backwards they really should there's what's called predictive antibody testing which most doctors don't do which means arguably they should test the antibodies first especially if someone has a family history of let's say Hashimoto's or Graves disease and then if you see those antibodies present even if the person's not experiencing symptoms and you know that over time, that person probably is going to start getting more damage done to the thyroid gland. But yeah, it is more difficult to diagnose and usually it does come down to where they might do a TSH and a TSH alone, and then finally see that TSH elevated. But like I said, it could take like 10, 15 years sometimes before that TSH is out of range. And then once it's out of range, they may look at some of the other thyroid markers. Sometimes they don't even do that because honestly, if someone has Hashimoto's or they just have like a non-autoimmune hypothyroid condition, the treatment from a medical perspective is usually the same, which is thyroid hormone hormone replacement.
0: Wow. So what I, what I'm hearing is they don't do stuff to be proactive. They mainly do stuff to be reactive whenever someone's actually in the thick of it. But if they would really understand, because when you go to the doctors, they ask you, what's your family medical history? What's your history? If you're asking these questions and someone responds to those questions, then your wheel should already be turning and say, okay, well, let me start lining up these panels because they may not have it now, but as long as we're being proactive, then we could catch some of this up later on because we all know that whenever you go to a physician, that information follows you from one physician to another, but if you have all the details up front, it makes it a lot easier to pinpoint it, whether you stay with a a physician or you end up going down the um, naturopathic or homeopathic route and i've had a few doctors on my show now that they ended up getting out out of the regular medical practice and went more naturopathic and homeopathic for the mere reasons that they wanted to do more for their patients but since there's uh, so many rules and regulations and the way the medical system is set up nowadays they can't necessarily do that. So they didn't feel good about doing certain things because we all know, let's be honest here, everything takes money and some, some insurance don't pay for, you know, these advanced testing. So if they're not paying for this advanced testing and the patient doesn't have the money to pay for it, the doctor may not necessarily want to do that, even though it may be the best option for that patient. Would you agree or disagree with that sentiment, Dr. Eric?
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, regardless, of, I, I'm definitely sensitive to like people not being able to pay, but at the very least, you should give the recommendation. So if the person is unable to afford it, that's one thing, but you should at least tell them what they need. And the good news, like you said, there are more medical doctors that are turning to functional medicine to, to al- alternative treatment options, um, just because many are sick and tired of the medical model where you know they'll just give a recommendation, you know, they'll order a test or treatment based on insurance, whether insurance will cover it. And I see, I still see that, unfortunately, all the time. So even though there's more medical doctors that are turning to functional medicine, there's still a lot of doctors where, you know, the patients come to me and they're like, oh, the doctor will just order just these few tests. And it's happened to me too, where, you know, we have health, you know, a few years ago, we've got health insurance and, you know, my wife said, go to the doctor, get a physical, get, get a bunch of blood tests. And he would only do like three blood tests and even vitamin D, which to me should be like a wellness test. You know, he he told me that he, he said he, he agreed finally to do vitamin D, but he was like, yeah, I don't know if the insurance company will pay for it. So you might end up having to pay for it out of pocket. And I was like, okay, if that's fine, that's fine. If that's the case, but again, just tell me what I need. I, of course I knew what I, you know, at least I felt like what my experience, I knew what I needed. Um, so I was like trying to tell them what tests I would like to have. But what my patients, again, I see it time and time again, where unfortunately, the they, they'll try to recommend the bare basics.
0: Which is really sad, because if we're not doing the best job for the patient, we're only doing enough to kind of uh, scoot by. So Dr. Eric, the last question I want to ask you before I throw you an audible so we could be mindful of time constraints is um, I know you are in remission with Graves and you went the holistic and naturopathic route. What are some of the natural treatments that you did to help you um, put your Graves disease in remission?
1: Sure. So definitely there was some basics like eating healthier, just eating more whole healthy foods, more vegetables, avoiding the refined foods and sugars. In my case, and in a lot of people I work with, stress was a big factor. You know, So I was in denial because I knew stress was high, but I always felt like I did a good job of managing stress. But I had an adrenal saliva test done, which showed that my adrenals were in pretty bad shape. I had low cortisol, low DHEA, everything was low. And so that opened my eyes, that stress was really impacting my health. And so that was another thing I did. I made sure it's, as you think, some managed stress. I did take some supplements to support the adrenals as well. And uh, just doing things to support the gut, the healing of the gut as well. And uh, just doing things to reduce my toxic load, just because we live in a toxic world. All the chemicals we're exposed to, of course, making sure we're getting sufficient sleep. And, uh, you know, so... So so those were some of the things that that I've I did and, and still doing to this day. I mean, admittedly, when I was dealing with graves, I was super strict. And now, you know, I still try to live a healthy lifestyle, but I'd be lying if I told you I didn't indulge every now and then. Um, you know, because I, I don't think people need to be perfect. But when dealing with an autoimmune condition, you definitely want to stop eating, you know, fast food, stop you know, loading up on sugar and, you know, eating like bags of potato chips and all that, you, you do want to try to focus on eating whole healthy foods, plenty of vegetables, do things to manage your stress, try to get sufficient sleep, you know, and, and like I said, also try to do things to reduce your toxic load just with the world that we live in these days.
0: Amazing. And thank you for sharing this. And I'm just going to regurgitate what I heard just to make sure um, it's in alignment. So what you did to help you put your Graves' disease in remission is you started with um, the nutrition. What are you putting in your body? Because your body is your temple. So you went to a whole, healthy, clean way of eating. Then you talked about um, reducing stress and toxicity, whether that is internal stress or external stress, because we know sometimes we can internalize stress and we may not think that we're actually stressing out, but we are because our body is giving us certain certain um, stimuli and et cetera, and we disregard that. And I like to tell people, it's kind of like the car analogy. Whenever you're driving your car and that indicator warning light comes on, are you that person that stops to check what's going on with your car or do you keep on going? And then before you know it, you end up at the mechanic shop because you didn't pay attention to the warning signs. The same applies to us as humans because our body is always going to give us certain warning signs and indications when something is not in alignment. Another thing you mentioned is just at, um, at adequate amounts of sleep because some t- some people feel like they could function on five hours sleep some people need feel like they need eight to 10 hours of sleep so figure out what is the proper amount of sleep that you need and make sure you're fully rested and y'all I'm going to raise my hand here like sometimes I'm like, go, go, go as the energizer bunny, And then it catches up to you and your body starts to feel sluggish and you feel broken down. So sometimes you need to just make sacrifices and stop saying yes to everything, thinking that you could do it and just set up some boundaries. And that's one thing that I'm going to be doing. I'm going to put this show on a hold so I could go on maternity leave and my body needs to rest and I need to get um, prepared. So I like that you talked about that, Eric. And another thing that you mentioned with uh, with what you did is, you know, I think you mentioned exercise, right?
1: I didn't, but that's important. The, the thing is, I'll, I'll say with hyperthyroidism, you want to you want to be careful because I think I was overtraining, I was overdoing it prior to being diagnosed. But you definitely want to be active. Um, definitely these days, you know, like I was cautious when I was dealing with Graves because of the hyperthyroidism. But these days, yeah, I'm definitely active. It's not just exercising, but regular movements, which I'm sure you know is important. So yeah, I definitely recommend for people to be active and to exercise regularly.
0: Amazing. Do you think I did a good job summarizing some of the things that you
1: mentioned? You did. You did an amazing job. Thank you.
0: My pleasure. And now I want to throw you an audible. So Dr. Eric, is there anything that I did not mention regarding your background and some of the things that you have going on whether it's helping people with hypo versus hyperthyroidism, Graves versus Hashimoto's or any of your um, subject matter expertise with the work that you're doing in your field that would add value to this conversation for the audience?
1: No, I think you, you said it all, you know, just uh, for those, uh, you know, the only thing I'll say is that there's, there's a lot of resources out there that focus on hypothyroidism and Hashimoto's. And, you know, of course, the main reason I'm doing the opposite, even though I help people with hypothyroidism Hashimoto's, I focus more on people with hyperthyroidism and Graves. One reason, and probably the main reason is my experience with it, but there's not a lot of practitioners and there's just not a lot of resources out there for people with hyperthyroidism, um, which is why I created the Save My Thyroid podcast. And, you know, besides my book, Natural Treatment Solutions for Hyperthyroidism and Graves disease, I'm currently working my next book. So you mentioned sleep. You know That's one thing. I try to practice what I, sleep, what I preach, but I'll admit that re- more recently I have sacrificed a little bit of sleep because I find that I need to do my writing in the morning, and so I have been waking up a little bit er- early in the morning. But, but, um, but yeah, everything else you pretty much covered, and, uh, and again, thank you so much. Thank you so much for this opportunity to uh, share the information with your listeners.
0: My pleasure, and thank you for just coming in and sharing your expertise. Now we're going to jump into the CTA, which is the call to action part of the segment. And the reason why I always like to have a call to action is because it's good to put information out there to help people, whether it's educational, inspirational, or motivational, but we also need to challenge them to apply the information that they heard and actually do something with it because what good is listening and gaining knowledge if you're not going to apply the knowledge that you have acquired. So what is your call to action for the audience today?
1: So I would say the, I mean, probably the first thing is just try to do everything you can from a diet and lifestyle perspective. You know, just uh, again, if you could do one thing, I would say, you know, eat whole healthy foods and avoid the refined foods and sugars, you know, second, a close second, and we could argue this is number one, also, you know, like tied for number one would be the stress management just because we can't reduce, uh, it's very difficult to reduce the stress or sometimes it's possible, but it's the perception of the stress. That's a problem. You know, so I would say those are two things, you know, to focus on now, is that going to be enough to get you into remission? Maybe, but many times not. And that's where the resources, of course, you know, feel free to visit, save my thyroid podcast, you know, read my book. There's other, again, plenty of other resources out there. It's not just about me. There's especially what hypothyroidism Hashimoto's, but again, um, the, the diet, the stress management, and then, uh, you know, and and we, uh, the sleep again, the sleep is huge too. So if we had to, you know, put a third one there, diet, stress, sleep are things that just about everybody could do on their own.
0: Amazing. And Dr. Eric, for anyone that is interested in connecting with you or working with you, please leave your website and then also let them know what social media platforms you hang out on, if any.
1: Okay. So so I don't spend too much time on social media. I do actually, I do Facebook lives, but I'm still not on Instagram. So I, I want to eventually be on TikTok, but not on TikTok yet. So so, I guess Facebook Live, and then I, I do have a YouTube channel, Natural Thyroid Doctor. Uh, and uh, let's see. So, I, on Facebook, a couple of groups, which are uh, Save Your Thyroid is one, and then Hyperthyroid Healing. And then uh, again, the podcast, Save My Thyroid, which you could visit savemythyroid.com, or you could visit Apple Podcasts or Spotify or your favorite podcast platform. And then, again, my books, Natural Treatment Solutions for Hyperthyroidism Graves Disease, as well as Hashimoto's Triggers, which both, of course, can be found on Amazon.
0: Amazing. So, y'all, I will have Dr. Eric's contact information in the show notes. So, all you need to do is read, scroll on down, and tap in with him. My challenge for you is analyze, starting this week, this upcoming week, I want you to analyze some of the... Habits that you have and ask yourself, how is my diet? What am I putting into my body? Is it food that is fueling me to give me that good energy? Or is it food that is causing me to be lethargic Two, sleep? What does my sleep schedule look like? Do I need to start weaning off and putting my phone on do not disturb whenever I am getting ready to go to bed so that your body could, you know, not be stimulated by the blue lights and the lights around? Do you need to change your bedroom setting where it's dark and you're able to fall asleep faster or et cetera? Think about that. And then the other thing is exercise. How much exercise are you getting you don't have to go out there go in the gym pump all this iron, you could start with body conditioning at home, you could get some. resistant bands and use that you could get one of the yoga balls and bounce on that you could do free rates dumbbells you could even get out and walk or I would say. Find an activity that you enjoy doing and do that because that is a way to get your exercise in. If you like to rollerblade, rollerblade. If you like to jog, jog. If you like to swim, that is a full body workout. And depending where you're listening, it may be summer there or may not, but try that. And try those different, different tips and then see how you feel and then start to build it into your daily or weekly schedule and this will help you. Would you like to add anything to that, Dr. Eric?
1: <laughs> no, um, you did great. Um, the, the only thing I guess is that, again, the stress management, which, which exercise, I know ex- a lot of people when they say my stress management is exercise, but, but you mentioned like the yoga bowl. So, so like for stress management, I would say, you know, do something quiet, whether it's yoga or meditation or, you know, even some deep breathing. So, but yeah, so that along with everything you said is perfect.
0: Amazing. And those of you, um, this content is available on 40 plus audio platforms. So make sure you like, comment, follow, and subscribe. You could also see the video to this recording by going to our YouTube channel and typing in GEMS, G-E-M-S with Genesis Amaris Kent. And you'll see the video there as well as other videos from past guests. And lastly, but not least, Where would I be without my supporters? You know I only think about you. I wanna thank each one of you for supporting the movement as well as the mission behind the show, which is to curate content that is educational, inspirational, and motivational while we also factor in diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Knowledge is power, but you must take the knowledge that you acquire and apply it to your life and never stop learning because if you stop learning, you stop growing. So always challenge yourself. And my big ASK, ask is for brand sponsors. If you wanna have your products and services heard right here where this podcast is ranked in the top 2% globally out of 2.8 million podcasts, per the metrics on www.listennotes.com is where you'll see those KPIs. Please head on over to my website, genesisamarskemp.net or send me a personalized email to genesisomarscamp at gmail.com to figure out how you can become a brand sponsor and collaborate and push this movement forward because we all need each other and we could go further and faster when we go together. So until next time, peace, love. And lots of blessings. Have yourself an amazing day. Thank you for listening to another segment of GEMS Podcast. Hope you enjoyed this recording. Make sure you like, comment, share, and subscribe to GEMS Podcast on your audio platform, as well as our YouTube channel, GEMS with Genesis Mars Kemp. We would love for you to be a sponsor, so please reach out via email at GEMS.